We are the guardians of peace and justice. Beyond the stars is a near endless frontier. Our order was meant to shine its light in even the darkest corners of the galaxy. There, we found an evil that none of us had trained for, that threatens all we know. For the survival of the Republic, the fate of all Jedi, for control of the Force itself. Welcome to another exciting episode of Give Me Those Star Wars, a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network and a galaxy far, far away. I'm Ryan Daly, currently flying through the Hetzal system with 17 minutes until impact, and I am thrilled to welcome two different guests to the show. The first guest has been on the show before when we covered the original Star Wars novelization. You may also know him as the husband part of the husband and wife podcasting duo on Married Watching Cartoons and the Rod Pod. Please welcome back to the show, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames. What's up, John? Hi, Ryan. Thanks for having me back. Nice to talk about some printed page Star Wars stuff again. Yeah, if, if, if it's a Star Wars book, you're gonna be you're, you got to be there. So. Uh, and my second guest is making his first appearance here, but I had the pleasure of recording an April Fool's Day episode of, of his show a couple of years ago. That show is the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast, which I am eternally jealous of. Why did I do a DC horror comics podcast when my heart belongs to Marvel's monsters? Anyway, please welcome the co-host of Tomb of Ideas, Mr. James Hickson. How are you doing, man? Um, I'm a bit confused. Why am I not trapped in a tomb right now? Not, not that I'm not grateful, but I'm just a little confused how I got here. We can summon Gravely to throw you back in the tomb if you want. No, 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 no. Hi, I'm Star Wars. I like, I like Star Wars. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. That's why you're here. Um, folks, the three of us have gathered at the Starlight Beacon to review the novel Star Wars, The High Republic, Light of the Jedi, written by Charles Soule, and published this past January. But before we get into the book, James, since this is your first time on the show, we got to start with your Star Wars origin. How and when did you come to this very obscure sci-fi fantasy adventure saga? Uh, well, I was surprising enough. I was a kid of the '80s, but I never really got into Star Wars until the the special editions came out. And I was at a movie. I don't even remember what movie it was. And there was a trailer for the special editions. See them for the on the big screen like they're meant to be seen. I'm like, well, I've never seen any of them anyway, so I guess I'll see it for the first time on the big screen. So I saw. Star Wars A New Hope on the big screen as part of the special edition, and I just fell in love. 
and I started picking up um, books. You remember Scholastic Book Fairs? I do. Well, they were full of Star Wars books uh, th- that that year. So, of course, it gets spoiled for me that Darth Vader is Luke's father and Leia is his sister through these books. But I didn't care because I was just so in it, and I was yes. Uh, wow, that, nice. that, that fascinates me that you didn't see them until the special editions in 97 and you didn't know the secret of Darth Vader. And Luke. That is crazy. <laughs> and I still managed to spoil it for myself. That was, <laughs> yeah. I'm skilled. And then the prequels happened. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, maybe I can check out now. <laughs> I, I saw Phantom Menace in theaters with my friends. We were all so excited to see it. And then we saw it, and we're like, we liked it! We liked it! And then we're like, did we like it? <laughs> well, there's another one coming out. And we want to... Nah, I'm good. And I didn't see that one until it was on HBO. There was a whole so, lot of denial going on after the, that first movie. The spell was broken, as it were. Yeah. All right. Well, very, very cool. Very cool. That's uh, that's cool that you got into them with the special editions. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's fun. Uh, alrighty. So, folks, The High Republic... What is it? Basically, it's an umbrella for a new publishing initiative by Lucasfilm's print division. Uh, now that the Skywalker saga appears to be wrapped up in the movies and the Disney Plus is doing some other stuff, filling in all of the, the cracks between, you know, with their TV specials, the books are carving out their own corner of the galaxy. And in order to really cleanly divest themselves from the continuity of what we've seen before, they are setting these new stories hundreds of years before the movies, 200 years specifically. This is a time when the galaxy is expanding. The Republic is thriving in power and membership. The worlds of the Outer Rim are being settled and colonized. It's a time of exploration as adventurous spacefarers discover new paths through hyperspace to make travel faster and safer. New species are joining the Republic, which leads to cultural enrichment and diversity. New ideas, new art forms and customs are shared and disseminated throughout the Republic. And this is a time when the Jedi Order is strong. There's not just centrally located on Coruscant. The Jedi Knights have outposts spread throughout the galaxy where task forces of Jedi and Republic volunteers can respond to crises on short notice. Um, there is no hint or whisper of any Sith activity or anybody wielding red lightsabers. This really is the age of exploration and the renaissance of the Star Wars universe. This whole publishing agenda was first announced late in 2019, with this novel, Light of the Jedi, originally supposed to have come out last July 2020. Amidst the global coronavirus pandemic, for reasons, Lucasfilm delayed the release until this past January. So, fellas, when did you first hear about The High Republic? What about it may have interested you, and what expectations did you have based on what you knew about the sort of the setting and the time period? John, you can go first. Yeah, I uh, heard about it, uh, I think, when they did the initial announcement. They had, like, a little media thing, and I didn't read much about it, but the whole it, it intrigued me, the whole idea of it. I really liked the idea of it being something new, you know, a different thing, because I had just seen Rise of Skywalker and uh, was recovering from the taste of rehashed same that, that I was really feeling. So I was really, so my expectations, though, were tempered, though, because Star Wars novels are 
you know, let, let's say a mixed bag of quality. Fair. And <laughs> I, I really haven't been that impressed by anything that's come out since this, you know, re reboot. I, frankly, I wasn't really all that impressed with the most of the late era extended universe or whatever they mm-hmm. called it too. So, but I was willing to give it a shot because it's just the idea of it being a new era that you could tell new stories in with no Sith. I was excited to see where they'd go with that. So. Yep. James? So I watched the most recent season of The Mandalorian and I was in a bit of a Star Wars mood so I was actually thinking I would run a Star Wars RPG using the Savage Worlds rule system. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need to look at some Star Wars that's not in The Mandalorian. And I'm like, well, I haven't read a Star Wars novel in a while. And I'm like, hey, can anybody recommend a Star Wars novel um, challenge mode not having anything to do with those damn Skywalkers? Because <laughs> after the after the sequel trilogy, I was just kind of like, you know what? I could do without Skywalkers for a little bit. You know, it was cool seeing Luke at the end of The Mandalorian, but... I could do without Skywalkers for a little bit. And somebody's like, well, this High Republic book comes out tomorrow. I'm like, <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> and, I, and I picked it up, and it was perfect. Exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, they yeah. So they, yeah, they did as as uh, as John mentioned. They did this whole sort of announcement video with uh, some of the creative people involved. Um, came out, I think, right around the time that the Rise of Skywalker came out. Um, which was kind of funny timing because to me it sort of said that Lucasfilm wanted to move on from the sequel era characters. Um, they didn't want to do any other like books or, or projects with those ca- characters right at the time, which may have been an admission. So I don't know. I think I I think those movies have still have a really strong fan base that would follow them into other novels and comics and properties like that. I don't think they would be smart to consider those characters failures by any stretch. I think what it has more to do with is right now, Disney and the movie division just doesn't know if they want to do more with those characters in the future and those actors. And they don't want to be locked continuity wise into anything that the books might do. So yeah. So I, I mean, I was kind of like the same way. I, I, like I, I had read a ton of the books beforehand and, um, like the last big like, uh, like publishing thing that I got into in the late '90s, early 2000s was the New Jedi Order saga, um, which did introduce a brand new villain that wasn't the Empire and it wasn't the Sith. Uh, it was yeah. this alien species from another galaxy that did a lot of body mutilation and, and used organic technology. Very weird. Might have gone on too long, uh, too many books, but. I liked it for trying to do something different. Uh, and then that series ended, and then the prequels and the Clone Wars and everything kind of went back to the Sith and red lightsabers, and then the First Order, which was just the Empire 2.0. So again, I'm coming to this point where I'm like, yeah, I really like the idea of a blank canvas for Star Wars. Characters we don't know, a system or a galaxy that we're not totally familiar with. Um... I didn't want more Empire and Sith analogs that we've the things that we've gotten for for thirty years. So this one, the High Republic, the new ongoing bad guy that is supposed to be the the threat to the Jedi and the Republic throughout the series, is a group called the Nihil, which admittedly, when I heard, I thought was a dumb name, and I still think well, it's kind of a dumb name. George Lucas would be thrilled with this name. Let's be uh, they're. they're Nihilists who annihilate the Nihil. 
Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> if, if it wasn't on the nose enough, yeah, it's just it's very. Uh, very um, and they showed teaser art in the in the promo sort of announcement that made them look kind of like these barbaric warriors with masks. They kind of all looked like Mad Max villains, um, which looked cool. But my first thought was, this doesn't seem like a threat to the Jedi. So there must be something kind of special about them. The, so again, this thing was supposed to start last summer, and they delayed the release um, for about six months. I, I guess, be, I guess, because of the pandemic, maybe that's that's. But I mean, I, I don't know how much they're depending on like actual sales in bookstores as opposed to online. Like, say, I I can't. Uh, the uh, only thing that I can think of is like. I, I don't know if anything was rewritten about this book, but there are certainly elements and, and parts of this thing that feel pretty timely um, after living in the pan, uh, the pandemic, and we'll kind of come uh-huh. up to some of those. Maybe I was thinking I was thinking maybe like they had like press tours planned and like you know author signings, and they were going to be sending people around because I know I'm sure you know they did the High Republic YouTube show. Which yeah. kind of yeah. serves the same purpose. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They might that's have had right. a lot more. Could have been something it's, that's like a press tour, like a travel junkets, things like that, that they wanted to do. Maybe. That special. might have had something to do with it. It's yeah, because yeah. they really were trying to. I was reminded of like um, Shadow, like Shadows of the Empire mm-hmm. for a bit with, with how they were doing this as this, you know, everything but the movies right. sort of stuff. <laughs> and it might be. It, I, I think he might have something with it that they probably had some sort of tie-in with it, but who knows? It's out now. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, this book, Light of the Jedi, begins with what they dub the Great Disaster. A massive ship carrying passengers, cargo, Tabana gas, and other stuff nearly collides with another ship in hyperspace, something that is not supposed to be possible. The captain of the ship desperately tries to avoid a collision and succeeds, only to have the ship tear itself apart from the strain and break into hundreds of pieces. Those pieces, with no guidance, pop out of hyperspace like giant bullets. They show up in different star systems, almost like meteor showers, but traveling at such velocity that when they strike a planet or moon, they obliterate all life on it. The main action of the first full third of this novel centers around these shards of planet-killing debris uh, raining down on the Hetzel planet and its two moons. Hetzel has a population in the billions, and it's a major agricultural hub for the galaxy. They export tons of fruits and vegetables and foodstuffs. The destruction of Hetzel would not only be catastrophic for the people living there, but it would have economic repercussions felt throughout the galaxy. Into this crisis comes the Jedi, and not just two, not just a Master and Apprentice, but like 40, and they've got to save the day somehow, with a clock literally counting down every chapter. What did you guys think about the opening several hundred pages uh, for this book Um, as a major event structurally? Like the way souls switched between different locations, different POV characters, all responding to this tragedy in rapid succession as the clock is counting down. Like, what did you think of as a, the beginning of the book? This this first kind of salvo, James. You can go first for this one. Well, it was exciting. Like, it's really exciting. I don't know about the rest of you, but I uh, I partook through the audio book 
and they really built up the tension in the audiobook. The narrator was excellent. I think we all and did, right? All three of us listened to the audiobook. Yeah. And, like, you really get the sense of hopelessness there. Like, dang, they are all going to die. To the point where I was, like, pumping gas at the gas station, and I cheered <laughs> when the Jedi showed up. I did. <laughs> because I'm like, yes! Thank freaking Yoda! <laughs> John, what did you think? There were some great moments, you know, in there. There were, like, some punch-the-air moments throughout that. But honestly, you know, and your mileage may vary, but I thought the first third of this book was a structural mess. I mean, this... And, and I know, you know, I've, I'm not going to get all literary hoity-toity at it because I know what I'm getting. I know the limitations of, you know, genre fiction and stuff like that. And I'm not expecting. But, I mean, it's, you know, somewhere between Kevin J. Anderson at the low bar and, like, you've got Thrawn at the high bar. This is leaps and bounds above Kevin J. Anderson. And at times it hits, you know, Thrawn levels. But it does have first novel problems in that this book has a very big load to carry in that it has to introduce you to not only uh, the new um, plot of the trilogy, but an entire new era. And it really, it dropped it right off the bat because it needs to introduce the era. And it tells me about the status quo. Why do I care about the Republic? For me, the Republic and the empire, are the same political entity. So just because it's the Republic that's not a reason for me to care about it. Eventually, yes, I do very much. But it was like it was 20 chapters in before I got to even learn anything about them and got to meet this. It spent way too long just introducing characters and killing them off like all over the place to a mess. Not only am I not knowing the era, I don't know which character I'm supposed to be um, following. And I and I made a snarky okay. tweet about this and somebody jumped jumped on me about it. You know, because George R. R. Martin back in the day started a trend in which he would introduce you to a character, make you think you're going to like it, and kill you off. Right. And that was great. It was a great thing because it was brand new. It was unexpected, and it was there to let you know that this was the kind of thing we're going with. And then every uh, sci-fi and fantasy writer has decided that this is how we start tension, right away in a book, in order to tell you that the stakes are high. Every single one of them does it. No, that's fine. It's a trope. It's there. But then after chapter three, when they did it again, and then chapter four, they also did, I jokingly sent sent a message to Ryan saying, Ryan, when did they stop introducing characters just to kill them off? And he sends me back about chapter 19. I thought he was kidding. He was not. 19 chapters, the entire full third of the book of people getting um, introduced to get blown up by a situation that is not properly explained. I'm to a point that it finally settles down and then they have the briefing room situation, which, by the way, those were my favorite scenes in the books where they would just let you know what all of this chaos was and let you go forward. And once it got once it stopped there and then we got to meet the bad guys then everything clicked into place and it was good. I'm glad I stuck it through it, but I very nearly did not because it was not a fun time reading through this. All right. John, you had James, right, I know you feel <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he 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 kind of convinced me there. I was about to say, yeah, they did that 
all the way. Like, you know, they would introduce a character, then he's dead. Introduce a character, then he's dead. But the problem is, uh, a problem for me, I guess, is it absolutely worked on me. <laughs> like, like okay, I guess I'm supposed to get attached to this character. And he's dead. But, oh. But the, the end result of it, and I'm sorry to, to interrupt you there, I just wanted to make the main point why there's... I don't know anything about any of the Jedi that are left. I can't even tell you who they are well, at this point because I spent forever. I, I think know, I think that is a point uh, that is a point that we'll come back to when we get to oh, okay. more or less the protagonists or the or the heroes yeah. when we when we talk more about the Jedi in general. Um, I, I I think I'm somewhere between you guys. Um, I, I had a very surreal experience reading slash listening to the introduction of this thing because. <laughs> Um, back in the early 2000s in college, I was, I, I participated in a online text-based Star Wars role-playing game type of thing. Um, oh, wow. where I, I ended up, because I actually knew how to write and I knew a little bit about the world, um, the guy who started this thing made me one of the co-game masters. Um, um, so I ended up buying a ton of Star Wars role-playing game material. Never, ever once sat down and played the tabletop role-playing game. <laughs> I was buying all this stuff for reference material. Um, and then the D6 system? Uh, this was when it, oh. when it went to the D20. This was the, the oh. Wizards of the Coast wow. D20 system. Okay. Um, but I, so I had all of this stuff. And what I tended to do, because this was sort of an online writing, oh, it, it was like a, a chat forum based okay. type of thing where different members wrote different chapters based on characters they created. And my job frequently was create a situation that gets everybody involved. And one of the things that I did was I would create an NPC that I didn't really care about, but who could be the the POV character into this world and kill that character by the end <laughs> of my chapter. And everybody else was like, okay, now you guys go, go, like get into this thing. So reading the first several chapters of this thing, I was like, <laughs> did I write this thing 20 years ago and not remember? <laughs> I was like, I was like, Charles, like, did Charles Stoll, Stoll steal my notes? I was like, this this feels vaguely familiar. I had a character get blown up that exact same way. Like, and little did you suspect that Charles Soul was in that group, and he, he is just he's he just like taking been. notes the whole time. <laughs> this Ryan guy's brilliant. He's like, someday after I write Daredevil, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna steal this guy's Star Wars stuff. <laughs> um, so. Because of that, because of that, I think I was I was maybe more prone to giving an allowance to this because I, I felt like I had, I had a little bit of investment in that thing. But I could also feel myself going, I was like, we're spending a lot of time and a lot of page real estate on this situation. And we're, it's it's spread, I, like, like as you alluded to, we get lots of different characters in these pages, like lots of different Jedi. Um, and, and some of them are just names and they're funny sounding names because they're in Star Wars so how, how do we differentiate between them but getting back to another thing that John what you, what you said is this isn't just like the first sort of this book this is the f- beginning of this entire saga type of thing whatever however big the, the High Republic ends up being and they actually created they they did a a little kid's like <laughs> picture book called The Great Jedi Rescue this is essentially the first third of the book, they just made a little a little kids version of it with without all the death <laughs> because it's for little kids. So they talk about how dangerous it is, but they omit all of the, the the hundreds and thousands and millions of people who die. That's great. Um, 
But I think I think the reason they did this is because this whole opening section, they did want to say, how is this era different than the era of the prequel movies? It's like, this is still an era where the Jedi are plentiful, but they want to show, okay, a crisis happens. What happens when an army of Jedi roll up on that? How is that going to be different than when Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan went to settle a trade dispute or something like that? When you've got a, a, a ship with a Jedi war coordinator who can telepathically talk to 30 or 40 different Jedi Knights, and you've got characters on the ground fighting off pirates and, and like security guards, and you've got Jedi in their ships and doing all these things. I think this was just kind of meant to say... When when a situation is at its worst, what, what do the Jedi have to do to rise up and be their best? And it is a chaotic, you know, cluster F, you know, situation. Um, was this part of the book executed as well as it could have been? Mm, I still think it's a little bit overlong. I still think it, there parts of it are really repetitive. But I liked it and I felt the sort of necessity of it. But... Maybe maybe this just needed to be its own book, its own story or something. Maybe having this be the first third of this novel, when the other two thirds really don't feel like they're part of the same thing, it, is, it does feel weirdly imbalanced. It does feel like another a different novel. You're right there, and it easily could have made it another novel. I mean, it's a hefty chunk of the book. Mm. But at the same time, it this is how I always wanted the Jedi to be in Star Wars. This is how I always wanted to see the Jedi presented. This was the this was the promise of what they were like. Yeah, and it, it, it was absolutely wonderful to see. It was, I mean, that's good. we're going to talk about the Jedi specifically, or are we talking about them now? We can get into it. Uh, let's let's talk about the Jedi. Um, almost all of our heroic characters in this book are Jedi knights and masters. We get a few other random non Force user characters. Um, there's a you know a, a tech nerdy geek. Uh, there's the uh, Supreme Chancellor, there's this um, married couple that are uh, like technicians that go on Jedi adventures, which the audio, the, the guy reading the audiobook really had fun with their their voices, Joss and Pika. Um, but uh, I think we get like as many as 20 named Jedi in this book, some major characters, some only referenced. Uh, some or most of these Jedi, like the ones that live, also appear uh, in the other High Republic books and comics. The one that I think is set up to be the protagonist, although we can debate that, is a woman named Avar Chris. Uh, she is a very accomplished, very powerful Jedi, and she takes the lead in the Hetzal disaster uh, because of her specialty, which is like the Jedi mind meld, uh, as she's like the battle coordinator. She's on the bridge of a ship for the longest time, just reaching out and sort of you know, scanning, reviewing a lot of the other, like, crazy things. So she sees big-picture stuff. Um, other characters that kind of, like, get a lot of the uh, page, Avar Chris has a, a friend, might say, a crush, uh, this guy named Elzar Mann, who is known for being difficult to work with because of his kind of unorthodox practices with the Force. Um, we meet... The Jedi Master Loden Greatstorm, who is a Twi'lek Jedi with a very strong personality and a very heavy ethnic accent on the audiobook. <laughs> <laughs> sort of faux Russian Eastern European, I thought. 
and uh, Loden Greatstorm's apprentice Belzetifar. Uh, there's another group of four Jedi Knights that we see a lot of times in their Starfighters. One of the four is a Wookiee. Um, and like I said, there are, there are a couple of other mentioned um, two previously established Jedi uh, characters, Yoda, of course, Yoda has to be in it, um, and Yariel Poof, who was another one of the Jedi Council members in The Phantom Menace. Um, they both appear in this one, set 200 years before that. So uh, when you guys, when you think of like federal court judges affecting the courts for, you know, decades, <laughs> these guys did it for like two centuries. So. Yeah, but Yoda um, apparently has always just been training younglings. The, all the time. I like that he's kind of like, I'm like, not quite a sabbatical, but he's like taking younglings out on like a road trip. They're just like on some like weird, you know, like a, a scenic vacation thing. But so, what are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm just imagining Yoda for Winnebago now. <laughs> Pulled over four miles ago, we did. King of the road, I am. <laughs> No, he's the bus. He's the chaperone on their, you know, like their, their, you know, field trip. Um, so, what are your thoughts about the Jedi in this book? We get a handful of them. Which characters stood out to you? Which did you like or not care about? Um, how do you feel about their portrayal? I agree with what James was saying. Just as a as a totality, it was pretty awesome to get to see the Jedi do these things that we've only been able to see them do in like video games in the old Republic. And, and when our um, star Wars D 20 characters got really high level, we could do some pretty stupid stuff, but, but this was great. I actually was, that was the bit where I, I turned and started to like it a little was where they did that mind meld with all the Jedi everywhere, just moving this huge thing. That was pretty great. And that was, it was, I will hand it to the writer. It was done in a way that would not be as effective really to show it on a movie. It was really doing it. And the, um, the audiobook really portrayed it well. So that had its strengths and weaknesses. I think there were probably just wait slightly too many characters for him a couple of times. So he ran out of templates. So some of them were pretty comical, but i Liked a lot of them for the most part. Uh, yeah. Also, the Jedi, it's for an order of peace monks. They sure do invent some cool ways to shoot lasers at people with the force. <laughs> but their spaceships were so great. I the like vectors. that. The Vectors. First, Vectors are a great name for a Star Wars ship. Mm-hmm. And, and they felt like Star Wars ships, which is something that very few of the, uh, the novel writers get right. Even Thrawn did not get this right. Um, Star Wars ships, they should feel like cars. Mm. Anything that goes wrong with a ship is something that could go wrong with your car. And, and that you could fix it. If you could fix it like you could fix your car, you could fix the ship. That's mm. about how you should be. That's the level of tech you should be talking with. <laughs> I love how like, they hooked up with the kyber crystals in their lightsabers. Yes! Yeah, like, the weapon system of the vectors can only be operated by a lightsaber, which means the ship can only be armed or the weapons can only be fired by a Jedi. And part of the thinking of that is it needs somebody who has actually thought about it and considered the ramifications of using lethal or deadly force. Um, I know it, it definitely feels me. like there's some commentary there, but I like that idea. I know it dates me, but it very much reminds me of. Um, when Tommy on Power Rangers used to plug his dagger into the dragon sword <laughs> and pilot it with a dagger. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry. It just had a very Saturday morning cartoon vibe, and I just loved it. <laughs> I, I just love the fact that being a good pilot, again, was a sign of 
a Je- only a Jedi could be this good of a pilot. Only they had to have the force to be able to do the things with that they could, which you know gives more depth to both Anakin and Luke being immediately seen recognized as Jedi by their piloting skills. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I liked that. That I got a little grin reading that, and, and it, it doesn't it, make them a Mary Sue. <laughs> no, oddly not. <laughs> I got so tired of that argument. It's like, Ray's a Mary Sue. No, no she's a force user. <laughs> They're all Mary Sue's. Are you kidding? Freaking, yes. Uh, no, uh, any, anytime somebody brings up Mary Sue in any conjunction with Star Wars, I say the main character of the first movie is Luke as Skywalker. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, he named the hero of his adventure after himself. Shut up about your Mary Sue argument. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I mean, there were things about these Jedi that I liked and and meeting so many new ones. Um, So I, I, okay, well, I'll say to me, actually, the the first, the the ones that I actually liked the most was I liked the dynamic between Loden and Bell. Uh, the the master and the apprentice like that that kind of relationship to me that was the one that connect I connected with the most. Um, I thought Loden had a, a very kind of comical voice as this sort of teacher. I liked the the detail that they put in his, his sort of philosophy of teaching was anything that his apprentice theoretically could do he had to do and he he would yep. completely stand back at the, at the last minute he makes his apprentice fly the ship he makes the apprentice do all of the work unless he, he, he absolutely has to step in to save them being dead as a jedi master <laughs> yep that would be that would be how my dad would be a jedi master <laughs> um so i i liked their dynamic and i like they were they were a fun pair of characters that i liked reading throughout the story um when it comes to Avar Chris, who again I, I believe because she's the one that's mentioned, she's the front of front cover of the book. I, I believe like we're supposed to think about her as the main character. I, I like the detail that she hears the the Force as a song, and she kind of like sees it as this whole kind of symphonic instrument. The way she kind of visualizes it, I also bet that "Song of the Force" will be a, a title of one of the <laughs> future books. Um, actually, the joke that I heard in conjunction with her is she is the one character who hears the John Williams score in canon. In the book. <laughs> <laughs> what are you humming? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um. But the like, if she, if she is meant to be the hero, and I didn't, I wasn't sure that she really, I would call her a protagonist because she's not. She is she's a POV character for some. I mean, it's hard to nail down one protagonist because of the, the ensemble and how many Jedi we get. If anything, you could make an argument that the protagonist is Markian Rowe, the leader of the Nihil, and we'll come back to him. And when I started thinking about the possibility of him. I see that there is this r- interesting duality between Avar Chris and Mark Yanro, that they are both more manipulators. They're both like they're going to lead from like the bridge of the ship. Neither of them strike me as the type to be on the ground doing the fighting. You know, they're, they're not. You know, like they. I, I don't know, like, like just the fact that Avar Chris is almost always on the bridge or doing something. She's the one coordinating. She would be. More of the Star Trek, maybe not Kirk, because of all the times that Kirk goes down and inserts himself into the action. Um, but she would be more of the uh, Picard or something else type of, you know, uh, prota- like leader of the Jedi and everything like that. Um, which is interesting just because, again, that's not something that we've seen in a lot of Star Wars fiction or, or stories. Uh, it would be like if 
during the Thrawn trilogy, they would have had an opposite number for him, you know, rather than have just everybody reacting to him. It seems like this time that there's going to be, I'm, I'm really curious about, and I wish they had actually taken more time to kind of set that up rather than just hinting at it, because for all we know, they're not going to go that way because I don't think it was really clear with the Jedi about what, where they're going from here. Yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that one too. Yeah. Um, I really like the Padawans in this book. Like, I really like the Padawans we've been introduced to so far. They have to be the strongest Padawan characters I've seen, and that includes Anakin Skywalker, in my opinion. <laughs> I really like Bell Zedifar, mm-hmm. and yeah. I really like... I've read the first young young reader novel. Um, A Test of Blanking. Courage. Test of Courage, yep. and I've started Into Darkness, Into the Dark, and the Padawans we meet there are really good, and they're not whiny, and they don't have a whole monologue about sand. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they really delineated what the difference, or they set up a difference between being a Padawan, being a knight, being a Jedi Master, that there was a different understanding of the Force, that it was more than just a new you know, star that you got you know, on your tunic or whatever. Like, how they were saying that the step from a Padawan to a knight was the biggest one for them. They were saying as masters right. later on. I'm trying to remember, does... Uh, Great Loden is kidnapped at the end. He's captured by the Nihil. Yeah. And does Spoilers. Bell does Bell skip his, like, graduation ceremony? Does he say he doesn't want to do that without his master being there or something? I don't yes. remember. So Also, we kind of get more illustration of what exactly is going on as far as the differences between what is acceptable behavior for a Padawan as opposed to a Jedi Knight? Because, you know, we talked about uh, main Kristen Bell-type character. Blanking on <laughs> Avar name. Chris, now, yeah. Avar <laughs> Chris, thank you. And her relationship with, um, again, I hate Elzar, Star Wars names man. for this yeah, reason. Yeah. yeah. I, I wrote it, them down. I, I got to that point I, where I actually wrote down the names of every Jedi character because I would need them. I, we're basically told that, yeah, they had a relationship as Padawans, and I can't remember if it's here at the end here or if it's somewhere in Into the Dark where we're told, yeah, romantic relationships are fully acceptable between Padawans because the expectation is you get it out of your system. Mm-hmm. And so if you're Rush Spring up for the Jedi, they... <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, oh. and, and if you're not able to get it out of your system, maybe you're not suited to be a Jedi. It's kind of like the thinking. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't started the new. one. Is that the Claudia Gray one? Is yeah, the, yeah. I haven't started reading that one yet. I got to get to that when I get the time. But interesting. Well, there's a whole. The, the reason I can't share it with my daughter is because there's a whole conversation there where, like, uh, they're like, "So Jedi's don't have sex? <laughs> no, we can have sex. We just don't form attachments." <laughs> like, okay. Uh. You know, if Lucas had just come up with any other reason, or, oh, no. Well, uh, so, this was one of the other things that kind of, something that I didn't like about this book, and and something that kind of kept me at bay about the Jedi, and it's, it's the same kind of problem that I felt with the Clone Wars animated series and the prequels in general, and a problem that I've, I've come to have with them is, the their actual behaviors and the types of activities and, and stunts and feats of athleticism and, and combat notwithstanding, the Jedi characters that I tend to like 
and want to watch tend to be the young ones that are still struggling on their journey. And I think we see that in Luke and Empire Strikes Back and Rey in the beginning of her journey and to some extent Anakin in Attack of the Clones. I mean, don't hold it against the way how badly that was written. But and and Ahsoka Tano throughout the Clone Wars and the stories like that. And I think, you know, James, we both really like Bell. We both said that he was one of the standout characters. And I think there's something about the young Jedi in training because they still have some personality. There's still a bit, a little bit of a learning curve. There's still a little bit of rebellious youth. Once you get to the point where you are a Jedi Master like Qui-Gon or older Obi-Wan or Avar Chris or most of the Jedi that we see throughout these things, they're so repressive of their own, you know, feelings and emotions, they become these sort of like monastic figures that it's hard not to call them boring. They just, they don't, they're not expressive characters. A lot of times they're not funny. Now, this, there are exceptions to these, certainly, but... I, I think most of the interesting stories about Jedi are about the training of a Jedi and the learning curve. And once you get to that point where you, you've kind of mastered it, it's hard for me to find much interest in them. That's when I start saying, I was like, okay, where are the bounty hunters in the High Republic? Where are the, where are the Han Solo smugglers? Where's the Lano Calrissian type of characters? Give me a, something else. Somebody who is a little... Somebody who's going to lie to my face, and you know, just that type of thing. Yeah, I definitely agree. There, it's one of the reasons I wanted a novel that didn't have the Skywalkers in it, and I was a little hesitant, being like, "Okay, it's all Jedi's." I don't know. Okay, it was actually surprisingly good. Yeah, I think that there's stories to be told with older Jedi's. Because especially if you really play up the idea, because most of the Jedi we've seen, at least in broad strokes so far, have just screwed up. (laughs) So I think that there's stories to tell where they don't. Uh, But I think the problem with this was that there were, again, too many, you know, Master Jedi parries to do. And there aren't enough. It's hard to make differences in this. So you kind of go with you wind up going with the default. Mm-hmm. Which is just the standard monastic thing, and that that is dull because we've seen it. You know, we've we've seen Qui Gon and Obi Wan, all monks. I've met a lot of actual monks. They're not all the same. They're not not in their teachings or in their personalities. They, you know, they may put on airs for people, but they all have their different things. And maybe we'll have when we have more time with it with them. Maybe we'll be able to see more of that. Mm-hmm. But. I feel like they try to do that to some extent with some of them. Like, say, I really want to know more about Porter Angle. Which one the, was the, he again? He was the, he was, the on, on the the planet where Loden and um, and Bell and the girl that's with them. Uh, he was like the fourth, uh, the Jedi who basically became a, a chef or a, like a, a famous. Cook. Oh yeah, he was really cool. I liked him. Yes, but then I forgot about him until you just reminded me about him. See, <laughs> that, that, that's the oh, problem. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it's it is interesting. They kept all these characters around, and now if they're going to be doing however many books, they've got plenty of them to grab and mm-hmm. tell their own stories in yeah. comics or books or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, also uh, and sort of looking ahead, yeah, as I mentioned, there's going to be young kids readers. There's young adults of different sort of different age groups, different reading levels, uh, lots of different books. Um, also, like different adult books. I think 
within the adult novels like this one, I think Charles Soule is doing a trilogy. He's not mm-hmm. the only one writing uh, these these books, but I believe this is the first of three books that he's writing. Um, that might be one every year or something like that. I'm not sure. And they're working another one in June that's supposed yeah. to be the next adult reader. Right, and that one is by Kevin Scott, who is writing the uh, uh, High Republic comic book for Marvel right now. Um, I read the first issue. That was good. Yeah, it's they're up to three issues now. The, the third issue came out now, and it's interesting. It's going into a horror realm. Like they, they're, they're the Nihil thing are only sort of tangentially involved. There's something mm. else going around, but they're dealing with some some scary horror story stuff for the Jedi. So it's kind of interesting. Um, mm. And that one has a cool right. young Jedi protagonist too. Uh, Seems like also, we're getting like a bit of a dry spell between now and the summer. And then we're getting a flood of stuff in the summer, including a manga, a Star Wars manga, which is – I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, Star Wars is nothing without its very famous, very exciting villains. Uh, so we have to talk about the Nihil. I'm sorry. I feel silly every time I say that name. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently okay. we're saying Marcion Row wrong. <laughs> Um, so these guys are not the Empire and they are not the Sith in the beginning they are marauding space pirates, they're reavers they're kind of barbarians like as I as I kind of said before they're like the Vikings or the bad guys from all Mad Max movies except their organizational structure is pretty interesting I find they're formed like a cartel made up of three crime families yes and each of the three families or gangs sort of is called a tempest. Each tempest is led by a tempest runner, sort of the don of the crime family. They each captain their own flagship. At the start of the book, the three tempest runners are Kasev, spoilers, he doesn't make it out, uh, Lorna D, and then Panetta. Below the runner is a storm. Storms are the capos, the senior officers. Uh, they work directly under the runners. They command their own ships, which are called storm ships. Um, storms have three jagged lines like lightning bolts on their uniforms to sort of denote their rank. Beneath the storm is a cloud. These are junior officers. They can also command smaller ships called cloud ships. Their rank only in two jagged lines for their insignia. Beneath the cloud is a strike. These are the rookies and the grunts, the lowest level of the Nihil. They can fly a single fighter-sized strike ship. And you figure this out, they only have one jagged line or lightning bolt for their insignia. That seems pretty straightforward. But beneath the three Tempest Runners, somewhat adjacent, is the Eye. The current Eye is this guy Markian Rowe, who is of a species we don't have an identification for, but he's humanoid with sort of grayish skin. The Eye is an important figurehead and advisor, but who is outside of the rank structure. Markian Rowe also has his own ship called the Gaze Ecliptic, which is larger than the Tempest Corvettes, but serviced by a minimum crew and just droids. Um, the function of the Eye is to provide this thing called the Pads, which are new hyperspace routes that the Republic doesn't know about, which the Nihil can use in their raids and attacks. The Nihil have pretty terrifying reputation in the Outer Rim for appearing out of nowhere, pillaging, kidnapping, killing, and then disappearing. As I said, at the start of the book, they're pirates and gangsters. 
Markian Rowe, however, has other ideas for them, and by the end of Light of the Jedi has started making them into more of what looks to be like a fanatical terrorist organization performing calculated strikes against the Republic for maximum commercial and psychological damage. So we go from Space Vikings to Space Al-Qaeda. Um, the question is, what is Markian Rowe's real agenda? And we we don't know. Hopefully, we'll figure that out in the next book. Um, what did you guys think about the Nihil in general, Markian Rowe in particular, or the other kind of infighting amongst these characters? What did you think about them as the villains? I mean, at, at first I thought, okay, it, well, it's definitely different from the Sith and the Empire, even if they did have to still reverse from Firefly. But <laughs> I made that comparison too, yep. Once we start getting, like, say, especially with Marcion Rowe, I'm sorry, we're just going to keep on saying it that way until someone tells me the other way. I, I think the, uh, the audiobook's audio Marcion, book. but I don't know. Apparently, the soul has said the guy on the audiobooks was saying it wrong. Oh. <laughs> okay. Right. Okay, I'm like, this ruins everything you, that, that wasn't an edit you could make, but anyway. <laughs> uh, like, a quick, quick, a quick thing on Audacity, just, like, you know, find it. <laughs> change it. But... They get points for it being different. I'm still not convinced yet it is a huge threat that is going to require the entire Knights of the Republic to fix. But Marcion Road definitely seems to have a plan. I don't know what it is, but he seems to have a plan. And I'm not entirely convinced the Sith aren't involved. I am not convinced. I am also entirely not convinced the Sith aren't involved. There's a lot of negatives in that. <laughs> yeah, but oh man, I that's what I, Dark Side do to you. <laughs> I love this guy. You know the the Nile themselves. You know that <laughs> I giggle every time. But, you know, say what you want about the institution of national socialists, but at least it's, but at least it's an ethos. <laughs> Nihilist. No. You can't, yeah, you know, a ferret or an amphibious rodent, you can't keep that as a pet. In. <laughs> as a you know, sociology, um, anthropology guy, having their structure explained to me you know, in the book and hearing it again from you is just, it's very funny. It is definitely somebody going, well, let's see what sounds cool. There's no way that any organization would have structured itself this way. It's. <laughs> They're, they're, maybe, sure, what, oh, whatever, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But there's so many things intrinsically about it that don't make sense. Do any of that matter? No. They're space orcs from 40K, and they're taking on the Jedi. And, <laughs> and it was really interesting to see. I loved the, the space combat scenes. Because having once they started using their you know, dirty tactics, to see the Republic have to deal with you know, unorthodox tactics... When usually it's the good guys who are using them against the Empire was uh, was uh, no was not done by accident and was very effective, so that was great. And and is it Markion or Marcion now? Well, I guess it's supposed to be Markion. Okay, so Mark. Oh, that's what that's what I call them. That's what the the book said. But you said that Charles Soul said Marcion. No, Marcion was he's was talking calling him in the um, audiobook. It's supposed to be Markion. Okay. Okay. So he's Mark the Space Orc. So Mark, yep. uh, so, Mark <laughs> so Mark, I really, really, really grokked on this guy. I thought he was the most effective part about the book. Uh, his plans were so great to watch them unfold and then have them explained. It, it was to, like, especially after setting up, you know, the Starscream dude, you know, 
<laughs> setting that guy up to serve his plans in two ways to to both like get the republic off their back and elevate him and to show the other one yeah there's nothing you could do and I his, could per- kill and his personal time. revenge right. his personal revenge against the guy he thinks killed his father exactly yeah. oh yes gets all of that done it was but to actually to see that get spelled out it was like way more effective than a guy who has a magical ability to intuit combat tactics because he's an art collector, for example. This he really, really shone for me as a threat to a villain. And yeah, you know, you you wouldn't think on the surface that he'd be able to threaten all the Jedi, but the fact that he was able to jail one without the SLMR or how do you pronounce those things? Without the force can Yeah, without without anything like that, just use torturing people in order to make him ineffective that was a brilliant bit i mean this guy is not messing around we don't know what his plan is but it obviously involves a jedi and it's probably going to um, involve some other huge space disaster again yeah i i definitely felt like the the book took a turn it changed when we got the villains because that the whole great disaster the whole hetzel system in the beginning um it's it's a natural disaster sort of crisis. There isn't necessarily a villain. So once we get into the second act and we do meet our villains, and again, at first I was like, all right, they're, how are they different than the orcs? How are they different than just like the, these kind of crazy things? Um, the the st- social structure did kind of interest me, but right away, once they start getting into Mark Yonrow and his background, I was like, this guy is interesting. And and just his, his style of voice and his, his, you know, just the way he was talking, he's got a secret past we don't know who his people are, but there's a hint that his people were wronged in some way. We don't know if it was the Jedi or the Republic, um, but they, they, he just kind of drops a few hints that part of his whole plan, part of his whole agenda is some sort of redemption or retribution or some kind of like angle like that. Um, but you're right. Like the fact what really kind of made them formidable and, and, kind of terrifying by the end of it because the whole the whole time like even even you know we spend chapters with these guys and i'm like really once these guys go up against uh, the jedi knights how are they gonna they're just gonna get their asses handed to them these are not even things but once markian row weaponizes hyperspace functionally when he's mm-hmm. able to give like to to send these path coordinates to all of these little starfighters and convinces them just through his oration basically to become suicide kamikaze pilots and some of them they just are like like the hyperspace jumps are like so much like almost like teleportation where they just crash into capital ships or crash into other fighters and the republic has no defenses for us they're moving so fast the jedi can't catch up to it um i just found that to be a really inventive as a as a threat and i was like this changes the game this makes them a lot more interesting um and yeah the fact that he they can capture a jedi and and hold one and contain one um and even the fact that when they have all of their you know like weather based names and everything like that the fact that they <laughs> capture a jedi named loden great storm and marciani's like <laughs> laughing about that he's like oh that's too perfect uh, I, yeah, I just, I, I really, really liked him and I liked them. Uh, an interesting connection, um, that they, they wove into us, the hundred year old woman that he has as his sort of captive hostage in his ship, uh, Marie Santeca, who is able to find these paths probably through the force, but maybe not. 
I, I thought it was a little ambiguous, a little nebulous. Um, but she is from this family, the Santeca clan, that are legendary explorers and, and uh, navigators throughout. In The Force Awakens, the movie, the character that Poe Dameron is talking to on the very beginning, played by Max von Sydow, is Lor Santeca from the same family. Mm. Uh, and he's the one who had the map to Luke Skywalker because he had mapped like that part of space and everything. So this is an interesting little connection that they're drawing to the movies that this this family is reputed for you know making these maps and possibly it all came from this one girl who was kidnapped many 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 years ago and her gay nephew or something now knows about it but he's keeping it secret. I don't know something going on there. Going back to loading Gray Storm for a second there there. Um, do we think part of uh, Rose's plan is to make him Sith or to turn him to the dark side to have his own Jedi? I was my initial thought was that he probably is he's worried about the hundred year old lady dying and he needs a replacement for that because otherwise he can't continue to get the paths, so that might be a short term. But he had like that he had a cylinder thing which they described the bit, and I, for whatever reason, I thought Sith Holocron when I saw that. So maybe he's using Sith tech. I think we'll find out more when we get more of his backstory of who he and his who his father was, because mm-hmm. he said he and his father started it this way with all of this, knowing it had to be this. So it was definitely apparently his father set this or had a hand in structuring this organization this way, yeah, so yeah. that he could sweep in and take over at the moment he needed to. Yeah, yeah. Asgar Rowe was the name of the father. Yeah, right. Um, and yeah, and there's some extent that possibly he's trying to finish his father's work. I mean, that's something that we've seen, you know, ideas. We've seen a lot of fantasy and stories like this. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, by the end of this, they, there's clearly our villain is still very, very mysterious. And he's got a long uh, plan. You know, his his agenda is... Or, or goal, yeah. as it were. He doesn't do plans. I don't know if we'll know what his endgame is in mind by the next book. You know, it'd be, it'd be cool to have some sense, but it, it seems like uh, he's got a pretty complicated and scary agenda. But just the fact that it's mysterious and the sheer competence of it, the fact that he, he you know, I mean, that's that's one of the things that usually makes a great villain is if they know what they're doing and, and you see how effective and and deadly that they can be. Um, that, that definitely helps, so... I would say by the end of this book, I was really more impressed with the villains and and his story, and that was the thing that impressed me more than the Jedi or the other things in the story. Um, not that I thought they were those suffered, because I I did think there was a lot to like about the Jedi, and even that first section, as clunky as it was, I saw the the necessity of of mm-hmm. that situation. But um, it was the way the Nihil evolved from something that I kind of understood and laughed at to something that I was like, this seems like it's much more layered. Um, and possibly he's still only using them as a means to an end and doesn't care about the actual Nihil itself. That's just one, one facet of his plan. So I find it interesting that he controls the other Nihil by telling them that the Republic is trying to take away their freedom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a classic tactic. Uh, there were there were some things. I mean, it was it was hard to read this and not wonder. I was like, did Charles go back and rewrite this part just yesterday? You know, I'm especially, especially thinking like 
like the space after, lane, the quarantine. They the, said yes, you gotta yes, reopen once, the space lanes. And, yes, once the hyperspace lanes are shut down after like the great disaster and everything, and and the senators are like, you're you're ruining the economy out there. We've got to open these things back up. You know, think of the jobs that are more important. Stuff like that. There was a lot of moments like that. I'm just like, hmm. and how much they stressed, you know, the the importance of the republic. We are all the republic. This idea of diversity, unity, coming togetherness. Compromise. The, yeah, this was... They, they really... There was the one the chapter, it's like, why co- moderate compromise is the most <laughs> idealistic government of all. Yeah. This. And I, I kept on thinking, I was like, this is very anti-America first, <laughs> like, scream yeah. type of thing like that. So. Yeah, it, it was kind of uncomfortable for me that I started reading this, and then the um, January 6th happened, and I'm like... Ooh. But yeah. can, can, can I talk about the Republic for a second? Yeah. It's it's really interesting how they really design it to be the light side into the coin from the Empire here, because and you really see this descent between the High Republic, the Republic of the prequels, and then the Empire. Because mm-hmm. even like Starlight Beacon, Starlight Beacon is supposed to obviously be the exact opposite of the Death Star. It's a space station, mm-hmm. and instead of bringing death, it brings hope. Absolutely. I mean, the, I was saying at first I was upset, I was crabby because I didn't know anything about the Republic. Once I got to know them, I'm like, oh, okay. The, this is a group I'm going to feel. It's it's creating them as they are to make the uh, fall of them even the more tragic. There was a weird thing like th- this happened in once Disney took over, like they and they started doing a lot of books. There was they started like trying to flesh out the empire and humanize the villains, and they were saying like, yeah, there were there were strong women in the empire, and there were gays and and other characters in the empire, and they were trying to like show like more kind of diversity. I was like, who are you appealing to? The empire is based on the Nazis. This is the <laughs> evil, racist, fascist organization that enslaved Wookies and other alien species. No, don't try and humanize them and and like gr- like show that all of these other subcultures were part of the empire. You're taking the wrong lesson there. Star Wars works best in broad strokes. Yeah. And you need your bad guys to be, you know, bad. And like here, you can still quote, a, you know, you can humanize them in a way. That, I mean, I like Markion. I'm in, I'm very Is that his name? Yeah, that's where we're going. All right. All right. Yeah. I'm interested in Mark. I'm going to go Martian now. Person. I'm going to do a third. Because <laughs> yes. he's a person, not not because he hangs out with a whole bunch of wonderfully diverse folks and who all just happen to be evil and listen to rec punk. By the way, <laughs> if you're, don't do that. <laughs> Trying to make up the new Star Wars music. Just, just don't. <laughs> They've been chasing that ever since, like, the original name for the, like, the Cantina Band, the original type of music they played was Jizz, and they've had to, they had to fix that that afterwards. They were like, somebody at Lucasfilm had, like, a 13-year-old nephew who was like, do you know what that is? Like, why did you call it it that? (laughs) By the end of this book, the Republic and the Jedi think the threat of the Nihole has been dealt with. They they think everything is kind of cool, and they unveil the Starlight Beacon. Everything is cool and hopeful. Little do they know that there's all this stuff going around. And one of our 
characters that we barely meet, we barely spend any time with, but he's the he's the guy that Avar Chris kind of had a, uh, an affair with a long time ago. Elzar has this powerful force vision that we we have in our epilogue, which oh, yeah. is very vague, but it's just that he just sees death and, and something coming out of the dark that is causes the Jedi to drop what they're doing and literally like run. He says they're not retreating, they are fleeing. And the vision that he saw on the face of all of his Jedi friends was fear. Um, and that's kind of like the thing, that something is coming for the Jedi that is going to make them terrified. That, that What he calls the enemy of the Jedi, which is fear. So... We'll see. We'll see where that goes in the next couple of books. Um, big picture, overall thoughts, overall assessments, or grades. Um, John, did you like? I know you struggled through <laughs> it at the beginning, but by the end of it, did you like the book? Does this make you want to continue the story and read more? Yes, I, I will continue and read the story. Uh, it, by the end of it, with the fact that so much of it paid off. Uh, allowed me to forgive the beginning problems and even see their their value in turn that mm-hmm. with having the whole picture there looking back you can the story that they're setting up is is really interesting the fact and that he's paying it off makes me believe that he will pay off the other things in the future so i'm in at least for the next one but so help me if he turns that starlight beacon into a death star <laughs> i will throw the book so hard across the room because if one more of these books winds up making a Death Star, <laughs> one more. The Death Star was always there. You just had to know where to look for it. So. Oh, the Death Star was the friends we made along the way. <laughs> <laughs> James, what do you think? Overall feelings about it? I, I would give it a B. I, I definitely think I'm all in as far as the High Republic goes. Um, I know there's like there's an actual play um, Twitch channel that's going to be doing a High Republic actual play RPG. I'm probably going to watch that, even if it's not official. Um, I've already picked up at least two of the other books. I've read one. I'm in the middle of another. I'm definitely there until, like you say, they make another damn Death Star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, like, like I got the the three books that came out on opening day, which was the the Light of the Jedi, and then a Test of Courage, which was the young readers one by Justina Ireland, and then the the little kids Great Jedi Rescue, which is just the illustrated version of the the whole opening thing with the Hetzel system. Um, I haven't gotten the new ones that are that came out in February, hoping that I, I will probably track those down. For now, I'm going to try and get all of them, and I'm going to try and consume all of the High Republic that I can. We'll, we'll see how long it goes, but I at least want to I at least want to stay consistent with the the adult oriented novels. So the next one by Kevin Scott that comes out in uh, July, I think we said, or June, one of those, some in the summer. If the quality is this good and if the story keeps me engaged, I'll keep reading them. So, yeah, this was not without its flaws, um, but I, I was engaged. I think there's a lot of new story potential with these new characters and this new setting. Um, and, yeah, I think I think this is a very cool, interesting opening installment for the High Republic. So. Yeah, I think we could all review, we could all recommend it, and we're all going to go forward. Um, Before I send you guys off and and ask you where else you can be found, I've got a new Galact questionnaire for each of you. Uh, This time, I'm only going to do three questions for each of you.
favorite character or creature, whatever, at the Mos Eisley Cantina besides any of the main characters or Greedo? John? Hammerhead. <laughs> the Hammerhead? <laughs> the Hammerhead. He has a name, I know, because of the Kevin J. Anderson book. I think he was a rebel spy because everybody in the cantina was a rebel spy. Exactly. But he was great. I remember him because I saw the toy for the creature cantina that that featured him right away. Mm-hmm. And and he's just was huge as life, and I just have him imprinted in my head. He, he looks cool. Moma Naden was the name of the character they eventually gave him, yeah, but... Hammerhead. Hammerhead. I bought it on a toy, and that's what they called him. His name is Hammerhead. Always love that guy, too. James? So I actually had to look up his name because I, didn't, <laughs> I my, my knowledge is not as deep as others. But I guess his name is Cornelius Everson, the guy who says, I'm wanted on uh, <laughs> on 20 systems. I'm close to excuse me. Yeah. Because of that robot chicken sketch. That's Okay, so you got to explain that for any... I know what you're talking about, but you got to explain that for any listener who doesn't know. <laughs> okay, so so it gives, like, a backstory for him and his friend where it's like they're actually just co-workers there on their lunch break, and he's just making up all this BS about how he's a big bad dude, and his friend's like, who you can't understand is like, no, 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 this is not true. He's he's drunk. He's bullshit. He's full of it. <laughs> Just don't believe him. Oh, my God. You cut off his arm. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's trying to apologize and defuse the situation with Luke and Obi-Wan, but he doesn't speak English, so you don't know that. So you're relying on, on Dr. Evazan to do that. That's good. <laughs> Which is absolutely headcanon for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Question number two. Uh, we all know Kelly Marie Tran played Rose Tico in The Last Jedi and was chased off of social media by a bunch of terrible haters. If you really wanted to antagonize those people, what beloved franchise would you reboot with Kelly Marie Tran in the lead? Superman Man of Steel. <laughs> <laughs> See, I, no, I really want to mess them up. Um, she's the new, she's the new Batman. <laughs> <laughs> They would lose their minds. Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. Third and final question. You owe Jabba the Hutt a lot of money. Would you rather take your shot at one pod race to pay off your debts or run and spend the rest of your life dodging bounty hunters? I'm going to go with pod race because I was always kind of good at that pod racing video game as a kid. (laughs) Am I as good at a pod race as I was at driving a car at my peak? <laughs> no, I will constantly run for the rest of my life and be chased <laughs> yeah. by bounty hunters. You get to meet, go to a lot of cool places. It's a big galaxy. And unless I'm the hero in a trilogy, they'll never find me. <laughs> okay, speaking of bounty hunters, <laughs> tangent, tangent real quick, I'm sorry. Why is the Mandalorian freezing people in carbonite when as far as we know in empire strikes back was the first time somebody freaking tried that well apparently they've they, it really caught on <laughs> a lot of people went to java's palace and said that is a brilliant idea let's do that and let's make it so universal that every truck in the galaxy has this technology <laughs> it is you you are not the first person to look at that and go hey wait what yeah no let's 
I might put it in a life hacks video. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. All right, guys. Uh, James, John, thank you both so much for joining me on this review of Light of the Jedi. Uh, let's tell our listeners where else they can find you in the podcastosphere. James, you're up. Where, where can people find you if they want to hear more from you? Well, I'm the co-host of The Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast with my uh, best friend, Trey Lawson. We look at Marvel horror comics starting from the 1970s, and the expectation is going into the modern day. Things like Morbius, The Living Vampire, A Werewolf by Night, Dracula, Ghost Rider, For Our Sins, and many more. Um, you can find us online. We're a proud member, proud part of the Cinepunks podcasting group. We're at cinepunks.com slash Tomb of Ideas. You can find us on Twitter at Tomb of Ideas. Um, and gosh, no, it's so nice. Did. Yes, you did. <laughs> and it's, it's so nice to be out of the tomb for once. I, I, I really, really hope you're not going to put me back there. You got a few minutes left. No, I I, um, oh. I just got the uh, the Marvel Epic Collection of Morbius Volume One because um, I've read I've read most of the Morbius stories from Vampire Tales, but I've actually hardly read any of his stuff from the from Fear uh, from that comic. So I'll be reading those for the first time uh, when I get into that Epic Collection. So that's cool. Very cool. Um, so far, the fear stuff is way better than the the vampire tales stuff. Oh, that's good. That's good because I liked a lot of the vampire tale stuff. So cool, cool. Yeah, Tomb, and Tomb of Dracula and Werewolf by Night are some of my favorite books ever. So that's yeah, I highly recommend the show. Uh, John, where can people find you and your lovely and talented wife Maggie in the podcastosphere? Uh, the best way to find us is to turn your pod catcher to Married with Comics, which is the overarching. It'll find all of our stuff. We do our main show is Married Watching Cartoons now, in which Maggie and I take turns uh, showing each other cartoons that the other one's not very familiar with, and we talk about it. Sometimes we have guests. Otherwise, uh, we also do the Rod Pod which is where we cover IDW Transformers comics in order. And also we appear on the Longbox Crusade Network with Pat and Delvin doing Transformers Chronicles The Marvel Years. And I'm on Twitter at MWC underscore podcast, and Maggie is at Maggie and the Rain. Very, very cool, guys. Uh, listeners, we're going to take a promo break right now, and then I will be back with your listener feedback from the last episode don't go away. We, we are, are all the, the Republic. Republic. Anyone hear us? This is Trey Lawson. And I'm James Hickson. Anyone can hear this broadcast. We need your help. We've been kidnapped and imprisoned in a tomb by this creepy old undertaker named Mr. Gravely. And he's forcing us to review his collection of Marvel horror comics. Stuff like Tomb of Dracula. Werewolf by Night, Man-Thing, Ghost Rider, and so much more. If you can hear this, please contact our families. Tell them we can be found at... You can find James and Trey every other Wednesday at the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel horror podcast. See you there, Tomb Believers. <laughs> You are receiving a transmission from The Rod Pod. Upload pending. 
Stand by for soundtrack transfer. I am Maggie. And I am John. And we are trapped, hurtling through space in a ship shaped like Rodimus's head. The ship, for reasons we haven't been able to determine, contains the entire run of the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comic. Which chronicle the events following the end of the war between the Autobots and Decepticons. So we figure we may as well read them all in order and report our findings to you. Stand by. Stand by. Upload complete now. The Rod Pod. Look for us at marriedwcomics.libsyn.com at iTunes, at Stitcher, or wherever good podcasts can be found. So, uh, till all are one. Till all are one. All right, on the last episode, Kyle Benning and I discussed the first five issues of Dark Horse Comics' Tales of the Jedi series from 1994. And as always, we got some great feedback on that episode. These are the comments left at the Fire and Water website, which you can find at fireandwaterpodcast.com. The first comment came from Diablo Frank from the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. Frank said, interesting timing on this. I'm working on a thing that kind of complements it for next week. Well, that was a tease for the new Dark Horse Presents feature on the Rolled Spine Network that's going to spotlight Dark Horse's Aliens comics based on the Alien and Aliens film franchises uh, that Dark Horse used to have the license for. Uh, I like the first episode that they did, and I am really looking forward to where they go next, because I loved Dark Horse's Aliens comics. I gobbled those up like a fiend during the time in the 90s when I really wasn't much into superheroes, but I was still really digging the Dark Horse comics Aliens uh, Aliens line, so... So yeah, I'm very excited for that new show from World Spine. I'm not telling Frank how to run his podcast, but... I don't care about Spawn or Image Comics. Tell me about Aliens Nightmare Asylum. Good stuff. All right, all right. Next comment came from David Ace Gutierrez, who said, Very illuminating look at an era with which I have no familiarity. My question to you, Ryan, is the technological stagnation a sticking point for Star Wars fandom? Uh, yeah, the level of technology in the Star Wars galaxy. Uh, <laughs> this is this is a thing that is hard to get around, and it's something that is really apparent when you look at the timeline where the comics that we're talking about are are set four or five thousand years before the the Skywalker saga, and even like games like Knights of the Old Republic, the video games that we're still talking about thousands of years. Except everybody still has spaceships. The spaceships travel at light speed in order to get from you know star to star within a reasonable amount of time so the characters aren't dead by the time everybody has blaster weapons everybody has you know repulsor lift technology for their speeders lightsabers you know they might the hilts might look the same but it's it's still there um all of this technology is basically hasn't changed much even like body armor and stuff nothing really seems to advance technologically over the course of thousands of years or if it does it's like really minute minuscule details and is i mean he david asked the point is that a sticking point uh do you i mean is it star wars if they don't have ships that travel at light speed 
Um, if like they have to go and do hyper sleep in order to get from one location to the next, and it takes you know a hundred a hundred years to get from one solar system, otherwise you need some other kind of warp drive. And then is it Star Wars or are we encroaching on some other kind of science fiction property? Same thing like without like blaster weapons. I mean, part of the technology level that I think that is baked into the DNA of Star Wars. And the reason why I think you can get away with changing up the timeline and going thousands of years in the past or future without really changing those things is because it's not science fiction. It is fantasy, after all. It, it, it uses some tropes and some qualities of science fiction, but it is and always has been a fantasy you know, story set in, you know, the, these realms of, of outer space and, and other galaxies and other planets and everything. But it's so much more steeped in, like, fantasy lore and things like that. So, I mean, look at, you know, Tolkien fantasies, like, the, those genre tropes and and how much do things change over the course of hundreds or thousands of years in those. Um, I, I think that just kind of gives them an excuse that, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. Because at the heart, I mean, what does it say before the open crawl? These are ancient stories a long time ago. Um, so that just kind of gives them an excuse that, that yeah, you, you don't have to have a logical progression of technology and, and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, anyway, that was a, maybe a longer answer, but whatever. Uh, Brian Linton said, I was a big fan of this series when it first came out and like that it gives us a glimpse of the Jedi in a less rigidly structured phase of their existence. I imagine Jedi from this time period may even hold more varied views about the nature of the Force, which could explain why young Jedi study under multiple masters. I agree. I think that's a good point. Uh, Brian said, I haven't started into the High Republic yet, but I would love it if the series captures a similar kind of feel. Well, as you heard from this episode, the master-apprentice relationship definitely feels like we're more into that one-on-one, you know, prequel era type of uh, of scenario. I, I don't know if these are they're going to explore other types of training regiments where, you know, students go to different masters unless there's some kind of, you know, one of them dies. Like, if the master dies and the student has to, you know, be adopted by a new master, that type of situation. Um, But, yeah, I don't know. I I wish it were another way because I I feel that it's a little bit more interesting. Um, Brian also said, while Tales of the Jedi now falls under the Star Wars Legends timeline, Onderon has survived into current continuity as the home planet of Saw Gerrera. Onderon, the walled city of Iziz, and even the winged beasts are featured in several Season 5 episodes of Clone Wars. I forgot about that, but yes, you're right, you're right. Um, yeah, I, I I remember when I was watching the... And, Ah, you know, I, I'm, I probably watched I probably watched those Clone Wars episodes after uh, I, I, I did that uh, podcast episode with Kyle, the first one where we talked about the Ulic Keldroma story. Um, but yeah, no, I remember watching those Clone Wars and when they're talking about Onderon and the Beast Wars and everything, and I was like, oh, that was great. And yes, that is the the home planet of the Saw Gerrera character uh, um, from uh, Rogue One. 
And the last comment came from Mike Deans, who said, Well done, Ryan and Kyle. This was a neat idea of revisiting the series and finishing off your review of the series in total. I rarely got the Dark Horse Star Wars comics at the time, minus the odd tag and bink one-shots for some reason. The discussed comics sound like a lot of fun and makes me want to hunt them down. I'm looking forward to your next show with the review of the first High Republic novel. Keep up the great work. Well... This was that episode. This was the review. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, hope everybody uh, listened to this. Um, I hope we gave you a good sense of some of the good and some of the bad and what to expect uh, from the High Republic and the book Light of the Jedi. Um, if we piqued your interest, by all means, check out the book or some of the other books in the saga. Uh, you might like it and you might, uh, might want to dive into it and, and uh, give me some thoughts on that. Ah, next time, I am hoping to get my wife Angie back on the show, and we are going to review a story arc that appeared in the current Star Wars comics published by Marvel just a couple of years ago. It is a story set after A New Hope, but it actually kind of ties up a few threads from the movie Rogue One in a story ominously titled Hope Dies. Look for that episode sometime in April, I hope. Wait, hope, that's that's the wrong word. Anyway, thanks one more time to John Schaefer-Hames and James Hickson for talking about Light of the Jedi with me. Until next time. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can also find me on Twitter at ryandaily01, or you can send an email to rdailypodcast at gmail.com. All music, audio clips, or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use. Give Me Those Star Wars is not affiliated with Disney or Lucasfilm, and I make no money from this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening, and we we are are all the the Republic. Republic.